0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning, everyone. It really is good to see you this morning on this second Sunday of June 2017. What an incredible day it is. And thank you for sharing part of your weekend with us. If this is your first time or the first time in a long time, we're absolutely delighted to have you here. My name is Donald, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here, one of the team members that love to serve here at this church. And uh, I know I'm a little biased. I know that. But honestly, I feel like we got a good thing going here. Um, We got some amazing people, people that love people, actually right here, people that love the people of Sarnia, people who love serving the people of Sarnia, and people who really want to make a difference with their life. And together, we're serving a God that loves flawed people uh, and train wrecks like me. It's really quite an amazing journey. I do want to s- offer a special welcome to some celebrities that are here. I hear Pastor Greg and Julia walk, uh, Julie walked into the building. Uh, McRobbie, so we're so glad to have you here. Oh, there they are right back there. Yes. I, uh, I saw them signing autographs and everything. So that's, uh, that's good. It's so good to have you back for sure. And uh, I also noticed uh, Pat Kimball came in here this morning. And for those who don't know, Pat, it was her husband who was the pastor here who had a great vision to build this facility. And Pat, it's great to have you here visiting with us as well this morning. Now, yeah, give her a hand. Uh, Have you ever noticed that sometimes, um, you know, politicians will run for an office and they're doing really well. And then someone digs up an old video of something that they said and it kind of embarrasses them. Well, uh, Brad and Marika, I just want to let you know we're going to destroy that piece of tape that said she wasn't much to look at when she was born. So no fear, she'll never hear that, okay? Unless someone lets it out of the bag here in this room. But, um, we have been on a journey together for seven weeks. And today we're going to be concluding our series called Flawed. It's been quite a roller coaster ride. We have been looking at people from uh, the Bible, who are flawed people? People who don't have it all together. Now I know most of us don't like to admit it. We we work really hard to hide our flaws, but when we look down deep inside, we know we have them because we all have our quirks. We all have our hang-ups. We all have uh, our struggles. And mine may look a little bit different than yours, but we definitely all have them. And um, and I realize that some may be more obvious than others. And so with that, I'm so thankful that the Bible's still not being written because the Bible really records people's flaws. And so thankful the Bible has been completed and I don't have to worry about getting some, some uh, ink because there's a lot of flaws that could be recorded for sure. You know, what I'm amazed about is that the Bible is filled with flawed people that God used in amazing ways. I don't know why I'm still shocked. When you read a story or you hear someone that was used in an amazing way. When you look at their life and you realize, man, what a flawed person that is, and yet God used them. Last week, there was a, we had one of our teens come up to me after the service, and they said, you know, in, in my high school, in our public high school, we have a poster that hangs in our hallway at the school, and it kind of reminds me of the of this series. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Uh, can you send it to me? And, and this is what the poster says do you seriously think god can't use you noah was a drunk abraham was too old jacob was a liar leah was ugly joseph was abused moses had a stuttering problem gideon was afraid samson had long hair and was a womanizer rahab was a prostitute jeremiah and timothy were too young david had an affair and was a murderer, Elijah was suicidal, Isaiah preached naked, Jonah ran from God, Naomi was a widow, Job went bankrupt, Peter denied Christ, the disciples fell asleep while praying, Martha worried about everything, the Samaritan woman was divorced, Zacchaeus was too small, Paul was too religious, Timothy had an ulcer, Lazarus was dead, and that's just the smallest of the flawed people in the Bible. (laughs) And, And yet God used each and every one of them. It's amazing. Ultimately, this series that we have been on, Flawed, has been about the grace of God. There's no grace like the grace of God. And I've said this many times before and I'm going to say it again. It is so hard for us to get our minds wrapped around this grace because it's so anti to what we normally think. We're so ba- we make so many decisions based on um, conditions and relationships. And this grace is unconditional. It turns, up, it turns everything upside down that we know. That's why we say the grace of God is so shocking. It's so scandalous. And I hope and pray that as we've been working through these last seven weeks, that we've had just a, a little better understanding of what God's amazing grace is. And what his amazing love looks like for flawed people like you and like me. Uh, Week number one, we uh, looked at the most notorious crook in all the Bible, Zacchaeus, And, and the truth that we walked away from week one is that things change when you have an encounter with God. And then week number two, we looked at a man who was deformed and diseased and an outcast from society, a man that was filled with leprosy, and he comes into the presence of Jesus and what we learned from that story number one truth is you don't have to clean yourself up before you come to god which is an amazing truth because so many people in our world think they got to clean up their act first before they approach to god but that story tells oh no no you come just as you are and then in week three we we looked at that uh, the story where there's the probably the most intense conversation that takes place between a father and a son the story of the prodigal son And we walked away that week knowing that God's grace is far greater than our sin. Our sin reaches far, yes, but God's grace always reaches just a little bit farther. And then in the next week, we looked at an ancient woman who had a modern-day problem, infertility. And she struggled with this. And we walked away from that week that even when your circumstances around you seem to be overwhelming, you can trust God. You can trust God because he's always working behind the scenes of your life for your good and for his glory. And then in week five, we looked at a woman who was actually caught in the very act of adultery, and she was literally brought out of of the bed and thrown in front of Jesus. And in that story, what we discover is that Jesus steps in and will even defend the guilty. Amazing truth. And then last week, of course, we looked at that very obscure passage, that obscure person, Mephibosheth. And uh, one of the things that we walked away with is that we are invited to eat at the king's table. And we're treated like sons and daughters of the king. And what was so amazing, when you sit at the king's table, your flaws are covered. Powerful truth last week. And here we are on week number seven, the conclusion uh, to our series. One of the things that I have noticed over the last number of years is that people are generally tired. You know, people are exhausted physically, they're exhausted mentally, they're exhausted emotionally, they're exhausted spiritually, they're exhausted relationally. And when you talk to people and you get below the surface, people will finally admit, they confess to you, man, I'm tired. I really am tired. Because the fact is, the demands never stop. The failures pile up, the fears set in, and life demands many things from us. A successful career, a stable marriage, a well-behaved and adjusted children, and a certain quality of life. And when life gets hard, the hard working work even harder. No wonder we're so tired. We work so hard to do better and to do more and to do it now. Working harder, working longer, trying to work smarter. We have this long list of things to accomplish and people to please and situations to manage. The strain and the uncertainty of life can be so heavy. It brings you sometimes right to the point of exhaustion. And no matter what stage of life you're at, you may be uh, physically exhausted because you're just getting older and you can't seem to do what you once did. I I, I mean, I know mentally I feel like I'm still in my 20s, but my body says that's not true. And each day goes by, I find myself getting just a, a little bit tired. And then there's that pressure from society to make something of ourselves. The fact is, relationships can be hard. Parenting at times can be hard. The demands that we feel from our workplace can feel hard, and all can be so exhausting. Well, let me tell you this morning, I got some good news. There is a grace that is inexhaustible for exhausted people like you and me. Did you hear what it said? God's grace is inexhaustible. He never gets tired of throwing grace our way. He never says, oh, man, I need a break. He never says, I'll get back to you. He never says, you know what, You've, you've used up your limit. He never says, enough's enough. He never says, you're over your limit. He never says, oh, not you again. God's grace is inexhaustible. And it freely flows to flawed people like you and me. Aren't you glad for that piece of news? Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> you know, a hearty amen, a nod of the head, or even a grunt would work there. Aren't you glad for the inexhaustible grace of God? <laughs> amen, yes, praise the Lord. You know, so often we, we do, we just get exhausted. We, we feel the burden to impress and to validate, and to be successful. Honestly, I struggle with it every Sunday. Because here's the fact, here's what I struggle with. If, if, if I preach really well, oh, I must be successful. But if I don't, I'm a failure, and all of a sudden my whole identity is lost. Something I have to work through uh, every single week. The fact that I would think that my whole identity would revolve around whether I am a successful pastor, and failures oftentimes will threaten my identity. It's absolutely ridiculous when I think about it, but yet it happens on Sundays. Now when I pause and get a proper perspective, I see this inexhaustible grace of God that puts my feet on a solid ground. The grace of God that frees me from having to prove myself. It frees me from having to show people that I matter. It frees me from getting trapped in all the outside pressures to perform and to look successful. His grace is given to me without, proving, without me having to prove that I'm worthy of his grace. Because let me tell you, if I had to prove that I was worthy of his grace, it would never come my way. That's what's so amazing about the grace of God. It is freely extended to us I'm so glad this whole thing doesn't rest on who I am or what I will become. The announcement from God is that you do not need to prove yourself. God says, I accept you for who you are, not what you'll become. And everything that we need is possessed in Jesus Christ, and we're free. And that is good news for exhausted people like you and me. The inexhaustible amount of of God's grace is amazing and with that let's just pray together father we thank you for this morning we thank you for those who have gathered here and lord my prayer is that you would take this message and massage it deep into our bones help us to be able to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ Help us to understand that there is freedom in Jesus and in no other. We pray in Jesus' name. If you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, because you know every Sunday we open up God's Word together. And if you're here this morning, and you don't actually own a copy of God's Word, we'd love to give you one before you leave here. Right down front here, actually, we have a whole box of Bibles. We've been giving them out every single week. People come down and grab a Bible who doesn't have a Bible, and we'd love to give you one this morning if you uh, don't have one. But for those who have their Bibles, would you turn to the book of Matthew? The book of Matthew. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's one of the gospels. And remember, gospel means good news. And so we're gonna look at the good news that's recorded for us in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 14. And we are going to be looking at another encounter that Jesus has with an individual. And this particular individual is one of his disciples named Peter. It's a very famous story in the Bible. And I love this story because I can see myself in Peter. And the thing is, I don't see myself in the good parts of Peter, I see myself in the flawed parts of Peter. Matthew chapter 14, we're gonna start reading at verse 22, but before we do, let me just give you a little bit of context as to what's happening here in the chapter. In the beginning of the chapter, Jesus has just lost a family member. His cousin has passed away. And when I say has passed away, I don't mean he died of natural causes. His cousin John the Baptist was executed. He was beheaded. And we find that in the beginning of the chapter. He was very close to his cousin. And it says that Jesus' heart was heavy. And so he goes to a place of solitude just to be by himself after he's heard the news. And then people hear where Jesus is. And so the Bible says in chapter 14 that people began to leave their villages and their towns and they went looking for Jesus and before long they found Jesus and then all of a sudden there's a massive crowd around him. And then Jesus, though he is tired, the Bible says he has compassion on the people. And then he begins to heal the sick. And the day is going long. And finally the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, I think it's time. It's time for us to be able to send the people home. It's early evening and before long it's going to be dark. And we haven't eaten, so send them home, Jesus. And then, of course, Jesus said, well, just go ahead and and feed them. And like, what? You imagine the disciples are, what? What do you mean, feed them? There's no McDonald's, there's no Wendy's, there's no Burger King, there's no Dairy Queen, there's no John's Restaurant around here. And even at the word, Jesus, we don't have that kind of cash to pay for that. And then Jesus just said, well, what do we have? have you ever been in that situation you know someone drops in your house you think oh my goodness what do we have to eat and you go through the freezer and somehow you're able to make amazing sandwiches out of eggs or something you dice them up and take the crust off and you think wow you're like martha stewart right even though you have nothing available well they say well lord we all we have is actually five loaves and two fishes but what is that among so many people? And, and when I think of those two fishes, I don't think of like two 1,500 pound tuna fishes. I, I kind of picture like maybe two sardines and five tartar biscuits is what they have. But what's so amazing, eh? Little as much when God is in it. The Bible says Jesus blessed the food and they began to pass it out. And it says that 5,000 men were fed. And then it says, not just men. Plus, women and children. Some suggest that there could have been a, a crowd as large as 20,000 people. And when it's all said and done, they went around and collected 12 baskets of food that was left over. Amazing, isn't it? And then we come to verse 22 of chapter uh, 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land and buffeted by the waves because the wind was against them. So just so we know what's happening here, Jesus is now... He's fed the crowd, they're on their way home. He told the disciples, get in the boat, head to the other side, I'm gonna go up to the mountainside to pray. And so the Bible says, when they were a distance from the shore, when they're out into the sea, all of a sudden, a storm arises. It begins to get really, really windy. And I'm sure the disciples are like, what are we doing here in the middle of the storm? And why isn't Jesus with us? Or do you think Jesus knew that there was gonna be a storm? And if he did know there was gonna be a storm, why, wouldn't, why would he send us out in the middle of the ocean? Or the, in the middle of the sea? And so this conversation I'm picturing is going on in, in, the, in my mind as I'm picturing this scene. And then you come into verse 25, it says, during the fourth watch of the night, so it's probably just before dawn it's still pitch black dark out in the sea it says during the fourth watch of night jesus went out to them walking on the lake when the disciples saw him walking on the lake they were terrified it's a ghost they said and cried out in fear it's when i when i read this i'm, I'm picturing uh, the disciples and, and they're kind of looking out there and of course you know the wind is blowing <sighs> their hair is blowing in the wind and 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 they're looking out there it looks like somebody is actually out on the water and they come to the conclusion it's got to be a ghost out there because it, it, it looks like something is walking on water And so I kind of picture somebody saying, boys, row harder, get out of here, row, row, row. Bartholomew, pick it up, pick it up, let's go. It says they were terrified. Have you ever been terrified in the middle of the night? I was thinking about this, uh, about being terrified. I'll tell you a quick story. I will probably don't even have time. Oh my goodness, I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, I was lying in bed. It was a few years ago, I was uh, probably... 15, 20 years ago and I was lying in bed and I was reading a book called uh, Pierce in the Darkness by Frank Peretti. you remember that? Some of might have read that. Oh my goodness, that scared me to death. Okay, so you know, for those who don't know, it's kind of a book and it has stories about demons and that. Why I was reading it, I don't even know because it was like midnight and so I'm in bed and I'm reading this book and I shut the book and I turn off my light and I'm lying there with my eyes and I see two red lights on my ceiling. I was like, oh my goodness, they're the eyes of a demon and I turn my light back on <laughs> And I realized, oh, it's just the security system. I had these two lights above the window. And I was like, okay. So I shut off my light and, and I opened my eyes again and they were still there. I thought, but how do I, n- but maybe there are different eyes up there. Anyway, I turned my light back on and I left it on for two weeks. I did not shut it <laughs> off because I wasn't taking any chances. I was just a little bit nervous. Then in verse uh, 28 and 29, Well, actually, where are we here? Verse twenty-seven. I I don't know. I I kind of find this humorous. I guess it says Jesus immediately said to them, "Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid." I'm like, "It is I. The ghost speaks." Like you know, that's what they're going to be thinking. "It is I." What does that mean? Fear not. It is I. And so, at that point, I'm sure they're even more terrified when they recognize that the the ghost speaks. You know, by the way, at that point, I would be saying, can I have some identification? <laughs> like, uh, because when you go to the next verse, it says here, um, verse 28 says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, if, if that's you out there, he says, tell me to come to you on the water. And the voice says, come. I'm like, come? You're going, Peter? Again, that's where verification is needed. Can I have the maiden name of your mother, please? The name of your children? Where were you born? Just so I can identify who is speaking to me out in the middle of the sea. But the Bible says Peter jumped in the water. And I was thinking, would I have jumped in the water? No, I, I could see myself. No, it's not solid down there. I'm not coming. Not coming. But the Bible says the Lord, if that is you, tell me to come. And he does. And Peter actually jumps out of the boat and he's walking on water. I mean, I don't know how long he's walking. I don't know if it's five seconds. I don't know if it's ten seconds. I don't know if he's on there for uh, two minutes. I, I don't know. But he's walking on water. It's absolutely crazy when you think about it. I'm sure that all the other guys in the boat are like, this is freaking me out. Our friend is walking on water. And then verse 30, it says, "But when he saw the wind this is Peter he was afraid, and he began to sink and cried, "Lord, save me!" And again, remember, it's still storming. The wind is blowing. Jesus says, come on out here, Peter. As he steps under the water, you still can hear the roar, of the waves, and the wind. And as he's out in there, and he's coming to Jesus, he, he actually looks and realizes there's a storm. And he begins to sink. And in the middle of the wind and the howling of the, Lord, save me. Because he begins, he begins to sink. And then it says immediately, in verse 1, immediately, Jesus grabbed his hand and pulled them up. And then Jesus says, Peter, why did you doubt? I'm like, what? in my mind, I'm like, what kind of question is that? What do you mean, why did I doubt? Look around me, Lord, there's a storm brewing. The wind is blowing. The boat is being tossed all around. What do you mean, why, why am I doubting? All of my circumstances that surround me say that I'm in trouble. There's a storm around me. Let me just say, fear will always come when you focus on your circumstances. When you focus on your circumstances, guaranteed fear will come. The way you conquer fear, by the way, is not by saying, I'm not afraid, 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 I'm not afraid. No. The way you conquer fear is to focus on the one who is in control. The storm is still in full swing. You can hear them probably yelling back and forth, Peter and Jesus. Why would you doubt? Jesus says. Do you think that I'm not in control? Do you not think, Peter, that I I don't care for you? you know one of the things i'm starting to realize you can be okay on the inside no matter what's happening on the outside now i'm not always there yet by the way i'm not i, I was thinking about that this week and i thought about a friend of mine in my old church his name is george and a healthy guy uh, he retired early from the police uh, force had four children and the news came out that George, at my age, I think he was 52, 53, um, had been diagnosed with um, a form of um, Lou Gehrig's disease, which, of course, we know what that does to people. And and I, and I remember I watched him. I watched him because I thought, what what is that going to do? How do you how do you accept news like that? And and I and I remember he came in the church and he was smiling and. It was joyful, and I was like, ha, 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 George, I don't understand this. I, 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 I don't get this. And I, he just said, you know, um, God's good, and he's going to look after me. And I remember watching George. Uh, over time, he started coming in with a cane. And then over time, he came in with a walker. And then with time, he was in a wheelchair. And I remember him saying, when it's my time to die you make sure this is a party. He says, I want balloons everywhere. I want people to know I've had a great life and God's been good to me and where I'm going is far better. And I remember him being, and I thought, oh, I want to be just like that. I get a pain in my head. I'm like, oh my goodness, I got a brain tumor. What's that mean? You know what I mean? (laughs) Because I know I'm not there where I should be, but I, I think God wants us all to be in that place that says no matter what's happening on the outside, I can actually have peace on the inside. I think he wants all of us to get there. The fact that you could have peace deep inside, though your world around you seems to be falling apart. No matter what you're going through, what matters most is who you're looking to. Nat, may ask you a question. Where do you turn when your storm comes? Where do you turn? Because there's only one who can give you peace in the middle of the storm. Where do you turn? When your life is in a storm and in turmoil. I mean, it's easy, obviously, to turn to alcohol or have codependency relationships with people, but there's only one who can give you peace in the middle of whatever you're going through. So look to the one who never changes. Jesus says, I am the same yesterday, the same today, and the same tomorrow. Look to the one who's the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. Look to the one who says, you know what, I'll never abandon you. I make a promise, I will never abandon you. Cling to the promises of God. I don't know about you, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna gonna try to keep my focus on the one who's in control. I want my attention on him. Do you want peace in the midst of the storm? Focus on him. What we find out is Peter took his eyes off Jesus, and all of a sudden things began to get really rocky for him. Then when you continue to read the story, he says, when they climbed into the boat, the wind stopped. And what happens next absolutely surprises me. I might have thought there would have been a different response. I would have thought maybe Peter got in the boat and maybe some of his guys said, you know, Peter, you started off so well, you were walking on water, then you blew it. Let's turn this boat around. Let's go back for a couple days so you reevaluate the mess that you made. You started off so well. Peter, now I know why Jesus called you a rock, because you sink like one in the water. (laughs) But you know what? No one... They get in the boat, no one looks at Peter's failures, nobody, nobody looks at them. Everyone is focusing on Jesus. It's like, Peter, yes, you're uh, just an ordinary guy, but this guy, Jesus, he's extraordinary. He's the son of God. And it says they break out in worship, it was like Andy Sherlock was right there with his guitar leading a worship service in the middle of the boat. Even in our failures, even our failures, we can worship. In fact, I heard someone say this, and I believe it to be true. Your failures can fuel your focus on Jesus. Your failures can, focus your, can fuel your focus on Jesus. No matter what your shame is from the past, no matter the regrets that you live with in past decisions, You know, maybe you're here and you're like, I just can't believe I did that. I can't believe, I can't believe I slept with that girl last night. I can't believe it. I can't believe I, I I, I can't believe I got wasted this weekend. What was I thinking? I can't believe I, I, I can't believe I had an abortion. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're dealing with, take those things and use it as fuel to focus you on Jesus. Because this whole thing, this whole area of God's grace has nothing to do with us. It's always and always has been about him. Listen, the fact is I am a broken sinner and thank goodness I have a savior who came for a flawed person like me. The fact is I am broken and I am messed up which just proves how good God is that he would send someone to die for us. That's the grace of God. Even when i have blown it. Even when I'm blown it. You know, if Peter were to tell this story, if he was here, I really think he'd say, you know, this story is not about two people that walked on water. It's about one. It's about one, and his name is Jesus. You know, this same story is actually recorded for us in the book of John and in the book of Mark, and Peter is not even mentioned his name is not even brought up in the other two accounts. Now, if I were Peter, I'm pretty sure I would have gone to John or Mark and said, I, I noticed you have missed in a very important detail. <laughs> like, my name is not in there. Remember, I walked on the water too, right? There was two of us that walked on the water. If this were me, I would sign all my correspondence. Donald, the one who walked on water. <laughs> right? Happy birthday from one of the original water walkers. No, this story. Peter knows the story is not about him. It's about Jesus. The story is about Jesus, and immediately when they got on the boat, the storm stopped. And then it says, when they got to the other side, listen to this. When they got to the other side, it says they started ministering to people. Now, I imagine Peter getting out of the boat. I mean, he's soaking ring and wet and people are like, what, what happened to that guy? Did he fall in the water? Like, why, wh- what happened to him? And I think Peter would have stood up. I am soaking ring wet because I, I honestly, I just didn't trust God. I blew it. But I'm here today to tell you, there is someone who loves flawed people like me. If you think, if you think your failure is going to prevent God from using you, all you need to do is look at this story. Peter blows it, that's true, but immediately he's back being used by God. They get to the other side and he's up and he's pointing people to Jesus. It just shows us that it is not our perfection that God is looking for. God doesn't need us, he just wants us. He wants to use us. Even in our failures. And as soon as the boat hits the shoreline, Peter jumps out soaking wet and begins pointing people to Jesus. Yeah, I'm the guy who's soaking wet. I'm the guy who blew it. But there is one, the Son of God, who does not grow weary and who will not abandon and who died for you. You know, I think actually it takes probably more than once to learn that lesson. Honestly. Somewhere along the line, Peter had to learn it again. When you follow this story, of course, it's not much longer where Jesus is arrested, and he's at trial, and Peter's in the back watching the whole thing. And a group of people say, hey, 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 you in the back there, aren't, aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? As Jesus is, of course, in trial. And he's like, no, I don't know the guy. I mean, I know sometimes when we think of betrayals, we always think of Judas who sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. But just imagine the closest disciple to Jesus, Peter, right, denies him. And so as a group of people say, Peter, or they don't even know his name, they say, hey, you in the back there, I think you're one of his followers. And he goes, no, I don't even know the man. And you read the story a little bit longer. On that same night, a junior high girl comes up and says, hey, I think I recognize you. You're one of those guys who are hanging out with Jesus. He goes, what are you talking about, you crazy girl? Get away from me. No, no. And then a little bit later, that same evening, another group of people say, hey, you're, I know, I've seen you before. You're the one who's always hanging out with Jesus. And and Peter loses it. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never met the man. You obviously have me mixed up with someone else. Then after the resurrection, you know Peter's got to be thinking. I, I blew it. I blew it again. I blew it. I, there's just no way now God can use me. I don't think he would even if he could use me. I think Peter's got to be thinking, I, he may be done with me. Then when you flip over to John, we won't take time, but you flip over to John chapter... 21. Peter is out fishing. He's out in the middle of nowhere. And then Jesus appears to him out of nowhere and says Peter, now you imagine he's just denied. He's just denied Jesus. Three times in one night. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter go feed my sheep. I'm not done with you yet. I love that. Go feed my sheep. I'm not done with you, Peter. Peter, I got plans for you. Peter, despite your flaws and your failures, I am not done with you. I don't know what you're dealing with this. I don't know what shame or guilt that you carry from your past, but I'm here to tell you God is not finished with you yet. You may be feeling I don't think God could love me because of what I did. I want you to know God's grace is inexhaustible. I mean, just imagine Jesus' best friend on earth betrays him three times in one evening in his most needed hour. Peter, your failure has not ruled you out from being part of my purpose and my kingdom. And Jesus invites him back into the group. Whatever you're dealing with, you've got to embrace this truth. God's grace is inexhaustible. There is no limits. And I know it is hard for us to get our minds wrapped around that truth because it's so not natural for the way that we think. I mean, someone betrays me three times in one evening. I am done with them. I don't care if you come crawling back to me. I am done. Because my grace has limits. But God does not I want you to know this morning that no matter what is in your past, no matter what you have done, God isn't finished with you yet. Because his grace is inexhaustible. He still wants to use you, he desires to use you. And you no longer need to live in the shadows of shame. There's a song, I just want to read the lyrics to you. I, I bask in these words a lot. Let me just read the words as we get ready to close. The song is called uh, I Am Am Redeemed. And it says, seems like all I can see is the struggles haunted by ghosts that live in my past, bound up in shackles of all my failures, wondering how long is this going to last? Then you look at this prisoner and you say to me, son, son, Stop fighting a fight that's already been won. The chorus goes into, I am redeemed. You set me free, so I'll shake off these heavy chains and I'll wipe away every stain because I am not who I used to be. I am redeemed. Verse 2 says, all my life I have been called unworthy, named by the voice of my shame and regret. But when I hear you whisper, child, lift up your head, I remember, oh, God, you're not done with me yet. I am redeemed. You set me free. So I'll shake off these heavy chains. I'll wipe away every stain because I'm not what I used to be. I have been redeemed. The cross is enough. The cross is enough. And because of the cross, Jesus can take flawed people, like you and like me, and make them flawless. That's the power of God. And it is an inexhaustible grace. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning, we thank you for a very powerful truth that your grace has no limits. Lord, we thank you that your grace is inexhaustible and it's offered to a world that is exhausted of just trying to prove themselves. And so Lord, this morning, I pray that you would set people free this morning. Those who are so weighed down, maybe from past decision and past failures. Lord, I pray that they could be set free. This morning, I pray, Lord, that people would understand that their past does not need to be a predictor of their future. And so, Lord, it's been a journey these last seven weeks. And we are learning together that this amazing grace, this amazing grace is so shocking, it's so scandalous, that a holy God would really love flawed people like us. And so Lord, we thank you for this absolutely amazing truth that God's grace is inexhaustible and the fact that you can take flawed people and turn us into flawless people because of the cross.